Please be advised, all music tracks used in this production are sole property of Kelson Communications and are original compositions. Thank you. Hey, it's Scary Jones, executive producer of Elvis Duran and the Morning Show on Z100. I want to talk to you all about my friend and fellow Brooklyn College alumnus, Silas. Your e-journalist, social work advocate, Silas hosts and produces the award-winning Kelson On The Air social work podcast. My friend and fellow BCR alum is now known nationally and internationally as Silas, your e-journalist, social work advocate. His podcast, it's also listed as one of the top social work podcasts. You must follow the award-winning Kelson On The Air social work podcast. To everyone tuning in, welcome. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. You're listening to the Kelson On The Air social work podcast. The program that promotes, celebrates, uplifts, and highlights the social work profession. This podcast aims to educate the general public to the vital contributions professional social workers make in every aspect of society every day. Hello, everyone. This is Silas, the e-journalism social work advocate, host of the award-winning Kelson on the Air social work podcast. We're celebrating social workers all over the country, all they do. So I want to say personally, thank you. Uh, I, I like to always lead out by saying I'm a product of this system, um, and I was helped by a lot of social workers through my uh, very young formative years. And one social worker in, in particular, whose name I like to always call out, is Mr. Dalton, the late Mr. Dalton Murchison, um, a social worker of mine, and was very influential in my uh, teenage years. And so I always like to um, highlight uh, his name. So, with that being said, this is a a very special informative interview that I have with uh, three um, very knowledgeable individuals. Um, I like to call them experts. You know, I don't want to put no pressure on anybody, but um, three young ladies that have a lot of information that needs to be shared to the general public. Uh, you know, the social work profession has been known to have challenges with their salary structure. And so for, for a long time, and, and even up to today, a lot of us have been on the forefront of really working to try to make people understand who we are, what we do, and, and, and value that we bring to society and humanity every day on a, on a, on a day-to-day basis. And as I said, I know first well the power of social work. My, my three guests, they have some wonderful information they, they're going to share. And so we're going to get right into it. So I'm going to start by reading a little bit about um, each of them, um, their bios. First, we have Ms. Olivia Knox. Um, she is the uh, policy director for NASW New York State Chapter. She earned a bachelor's degree in social work from Marist College in 2021. While completing her BSW, Olivia served as a communications assistant for the National Association of Social Workers New York State Chapter. In this position, she assisted with the chapter social media presence and advertising opportunities. And upon graduating, she enrolled in an advanced standing master's of social work program at Stony Brook University. Um, and in 2022, she earned a master's in social work with a specialization in community policy and political social action. Welcome to the show, Olivia. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Silas. Next, we have Ms. Adrienne Lopresti. And she is the executive director of Yes Community Counseling Center, a nonprofit community-based organization serving youth, families, and adults in Nassau and Suffolk County, New York. She also serves as the vice president of the Nassau Alliance for Addiction Services and the Coalition of Youth Providers of Nassau County. Adrienne began her career 26 years ago as a school and clinical social worker and has specialized in working with youth, families, specifically in the areas of addiction and or trauma. So nice to have you with us. Thank you for joining us, Ms. Adrienne LaPresta. Thank you. And Olivia, I'm also a Marist graduate, so. Oh, wow. Nice to be here. <laughs> <Yes>. Awesome. <laughs> um, next, we have Ms. Uh, Randy L. D'Antonio. She's a well-known advocate for the developmentally disabled in New York State with 25 years experience as a licensed master social worker at the state office of uh, state office for people with developmental disabilities. She has firsthand knowledge of what New York must do to be to best serve its most vulnerable populations and citizens. And while at OPWDD, Ms. D'Antonio 
provided clinical services to individuals with forensic and or psychiatric histories with a particular focus on sexual abuse and trauma. It is my distinct pleasure. Welcome to the show, uh, Ms. DeAntonio. Thank you so much for having me, Silas. It's great to be here. Thank you. So uh, today's program is going to really give our listeners and viewers some great information about the social work profession and salary structure um, and, and why we need to fix it and fix it fast. Um, and so with that in mind, um, our three individuals who are here today, they're going to all take time out to share some of their insights. And I want to say that a lot, you know, a large part of this particular program is going to be dedicated to research and, and facts that have been uncovered through various research um, projects. And, and these um, points of information are now available and the individuals who uh, put, to, put, to, put together these reports will share with you how you can get more information. We don't have enough time to cover everything because it's very extensive research that has been done. And so I'm going to just um, state um, briefly that there were social workers complaining about low salaries in New York State. And there was a, a research study done, and that was put together by author Ms. Olivia Knox, the author of this research uh, project. Um, and it's NASW. New York State chapter, 2022 Social Work Salary Analysis Report. And these are findings from a New York Social Work Survey. So uh, with that said, uh, I'm just going to um, read a little bit from the report, and then I'm going to ask you, Olivia, to educate our listeners and viewers a little bit more. Um, in your report, it states that it shows that social workers are not being paid equally equal to similar professions. The report from the National Association of Social Workers, New York State chapter, finds that 34% of social workers surveyed, surveyed are at the same salary they were when they started their job, which on average began one to five years ago. Olivia, take our listeners through a little bit about the history of this report, why it was important, and, and how it all came together. Absolutely. Thank you, Silas. Um, so the history, the beginning of this report came from our chapter's Capital Action Day, um, Capital Action Day 2022. So that was where social workers were really expressing their frustration with the salaries, um, you know, the salaries not being comparable to the skill set and the training that goes into these social work positions. Um, and so Senator Prasad joined us at that Capital Action Day. And she really heard and understood social workers' concerns. And so she said, essentially, if you can um, you know, give us data of this, that's the first step in producing legislation to change this. Um, so that's exactly what we did. We started drafting survey questions immediately after that Capital Action Day. I wanna say around April, 2022, we started distributing the survey. Um, we've got around 1,500 responses um, from New York State social workers all over the state, Long Island, upstate. Um, and so that was uh, the context of why we produced the survey. And then from that survey is the analysis report. Um, so we asked questions ranging from their starting salaries, current salaries, we asked about cost of living adjustments, merit increases, um, any possible salary adjustments that social workers were receiving. And so ultimately, we found that an overwhelmingly percentage of social workers feel that their current job responsibilities are not aligned with the salaries that they receive. Um, around 81% actually felt that their jobs did not reflect their current responsibilities in the role. Um, so, you know, all of these factors just contribute to the high rates of burnout, um, the low salaries, the low reimbursement rates. So that, that was kind of the context um, into the report. And so hopefully we'll, we'll be addressing it with legislation in, in sessions to come. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Uh, and then I'm going to I'm going to jump over to you, Miss D'Antonio, 
um, because um, there was a um, an executive um, summary of a research that I believe your organization did um, about the, the crisis in care or high stress, low pay impact, New York State employed social workers. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about your findings um, and, and how that um, was able to support what the New York State chapter was doing? Absolutely. And thank you for that question, Silas. So first, I have to thank NASW New York State because they have been partners with PATH in this endeavor of really bringing to the forefront what is going on in the social work profession. So PEF represents just under 1,200 licensed social workers in New York state agencies, uh, primarily in the Office of Mental Health, but also in the Office for People with Developmental Disabilities, Children and Family Services, OASIS, as well as our correctional settings, and a number of other agencies. And what we were hearing and seeing across the board for the last several years was this title in state government. We're seeing a reduction of people coming into service um, and also an, a high rate of people leaving state government jobs because of low salaries, high stress, increasing burnout, changing complexity of the patients they were seeing, and just the, the general difficulties and resentments at being next to people in very similar jobs and being paid significantly less money. So back in, I'm one of the vice presidents of, of the union and back in uh, around spring of last year, we did a tour of the state and visited many, many different settings, agencies and facilities. And every single place we went where there were social workers, we heard the same story. Our caseloads are bigger. We're seeing triple the amount of patients, meaning the quality of services we provide is lower because we can't see them as frequently or provide the type of care we want to. So there's a lot of frustration there. And that they sit next to people whom they might love and are friends with that make a lot more money than them with either similar or less credentials. And so we... we partnered with NASW to start a conversation over the summer of 2022. And in doing so, we were able to get, uh, we will take a look at their survey results and said, oh my God, we're hearing the same things. We really need to talk to our members about this. So we created a 20 question survey with input from social workers in the field and some of our leaders that are social workers, just to assess like where are people at? And what we found was not surprising, 82% of our social workers are female. Many of them are considering leaving the profession in total. About 85% are considering leaving state service. And, you know, we realized these are the folks that keep people uh, safe in our communities. These are the folks that deal with, you know, making sure families are part of their treatment, you know, and, and if we didn't start dealing with this, we would be not only in a crisis, it would be catastrophic. And we just went through a very similar situation with our nurses. We represent 10,000 nurses and we were losing them left and right. We did not want to get to the same point with our social workers who also are critical. And so we started reaching out assessing what was going on. And what we found was pay equity, high stress and burnout, increased paperwork, documentation needs were the three major reasons. But the other things that were causing people to want to leave were things that happened during COVID where telehealth, remote work, work-life balance issues became much more available to people who have this education and background. And they realized I can do the same kind of work in safer environments. I can do it without having to commute, which costs a lot of money. Um, and so people were reevaluating the career choices. And I have to say, you know, when you work in state government, we are the safety net services. We are the folks that serve people that don't have insurance. We're the folks that serve people that are in the most underserved communities, immigrants, you know, people that might not be able to access care otherwise. And so we made it a critical priority to make sure we got the survey results and started sharing it with our legislators, with government officials across, you know, different agencies. And at this point, 
we're hoping to gain some traction to build up the salary structure for social workers. We used to be a great employer and bring people in, and now we're not we're not competing. All right, thank you. And I'm going to jump over to you, Adrian. Um, I know you also had some input um, with the uh, the New York State chapters um, research findings, and uh, some of your quotes appeared in some of the uh, online media. Um, you, you addressed a couple of issues specifically, um, such as what are the factors as to why inequities exist, including women and minority representation? So share with our listeners and viewers a little bit about that. Thank you, Silas. And I'm so happy that uh, both to be here tonight and that the NESW heard um, our staff when we reached out for support, and, and that's really how we got involved in this effort. Uh, I've been in the field for 26 years, and of course, we all see ebbs and th uh, flows and trends, but uh, nothing like we're seeing now. Uh, we know that historically, uh, the field being predominantly women, that there's a misconception that women are not breadwinners. So, uh, you know, there's uh, maybe a misperception that they don't need to earn a livable wage uh, the way perhaps men do. Um, but also I think that, um, you know, there is a belief that our desire and passion to serve supersedes the need to uh, earn a, an equitable uh, livable wage as well. Uh, and that's really what we are, that that our personal attributes are, are what we provide versus a complex skill set that requires a training education uh, and expertise to be effective. Uh, you know, that we're just nice people. That's, that's what we do. We provide uh, comfort to people. Uh, there, there's just such a lack of understanding of um, what, what we provide and how integral uh, our services are across so many different sectors and systems. Uh, it's not secondary, but um, actually, uh, primary and critical to, to seeing outcomes, uh, both in um, medical aspects of people's lives, academic, um, you know, in, all, all quality of life for individuals and for communities um, and our society as a whole, that there's such a lack of understanding, or true just, you know, lack of understanding of, of who we are and what we do. Absolutely. One of, one of the things that you that you mentioned, um, and, and there's been a lot of discussion, and you know, and sometimes um, it's not looked at as, as as much as it should be. You know, the fact that um, with the low salaries and the fact of the profession being a quote unquote female dominated profession, um, there's some you know parts of society that says that also points to another problem, um, which is gender inequity. So um, there's been research studies that show that first and foremost, the salaries remain low, and I, you know some of the some of the research you know that that has been documented, salaries for social workers remain low because mostly women work in social work, as you mentioned, but also the fact that you know the the the, the overriding concept of fairness, you know things like the Equal Rights Amendment. You know that would you know make everything be on an even footing. You know th that's a piece of legislation that that's still never been ratified and passed. And the other thing that that is interesting, and I'd like for all of you to kind of touch on this: the social work salaries remain low or lower than they should, or or inequitable, until you get to the most of the upper upper echelon management. You know, then you'll see the salaries flip a little bit because you start to tend to see more male dominated managerial. And again, that, you know, glass ceiling again points itself out because if there's, you know, you know, uh, the Equal Rights Amendment, you know, basically stated if you have a, a male and a female, they both have the same education and they both have the same background and skill, and they both do the same exact job, and they should be making the same salary. And research has shown, as you said, that it doesn't. Now, the higher up the, for lack of a better term, 
corporate ladder, you know, individuals go, you know, the, the male tends to go into management and get the highest salaries and the female is often prevented. But if she does get into the upper echelon, it's still inequitable pay. So the, the, the social work issue and, and pay, it affects everybody because as you said, Adrian, people don't know who we are and what we do because we do so many different things. So my question then would be, how can we as a profession, how can the profession take this, the necessary steps now that all this research is out to make sure that this problem gets corrected and it needs to get corrected because that would take care of two problems, low social work salaries and gender equity. So what can be, be done collectively to fix this problem? And I'll start with you, um, Randy, and then I'll go around and let each of you answer that particular question. I appreciate the question, Silas. Thank you. I think one of the most important things we can do is expose with the data, with the numbers, the inequities that are going on. I think when people see that in black and white, it becomes very stark to them that this is not okay. You know, the pay there was a pay equity study done back in 2019 uh, that the New York State Legislature pushed, and women in government, uh, the Women in Government Center, I believe, performed the study. And there were many, many careers that were identified as, quote, devalued. Social workers were on that list. And they looked at race, they looked at gender, and it was very clear that those two factors made a significant difference in how pay was determined. And I think the more we publicize these studies, the more we talk to our elected officials, about the need to right this wrong, and it is a wrong. It is a historical wrong. We have been, as Adrian alluded to, we're seen as caregivers that we're supposed to, you know, we just go around and hold people's hands instead of the professionals that we are with the credentials that we have. And I think our elected officials are going to have to tackle these inequities in a similar way that they have with other professions, where they looked at medical and healthcare and started incentivizing people coming into the field, whether it is incentivizing them through educational support and tuition assistance, whether it's incentivizing them, you know, through salary increases, we need to recognize the value of social workers and what they do for our communities and the least among us. And we need to pay them appropriately, but we have to start blowing it up on the public stage. I think communities and members of our community would be incredibly supportive if they realized how disparate the treatment is. But I don't think we've always done a good job of tooting our own horns and fighting this fight publicly. And I think it's just starting to gain traction with our electeds as they realize if they don't do something, we're going to be in a real serious serious crisis because they know there's a mental health crisis going on. And if not now, when? So for those of you that are just tuning in or, or just viewing or listening for the first time, welcome you to the show. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate, um, host of the Kelston on Social Work Podcast. And today we're having a special discussion with three um, experts in the field regarding social work salaries and some ideas on how they can be fixed um, and, and how the problem of low salaries and equitable salaries can be rectified. So um, Adrian, um, what do you think, based on your years of experience, can be and should be done to move this along in addition to what uh, Randy just said? Thank you. Um, completely agree with Randy. And um, on a similar note, uh, we, we need to invest in tools that support data-driven outcomes so that we can better capture what we do and how it impacts not just those that we work with, but society as a whole, what the implications are of having our system of care dismantled as a result of uh, the, the salaries compromising 
what what we do provide, uh, both you know in private sector, public sector, uh, but particularly nonprofit and organizational settings. Uh, what what that um, why that's important to everybody in our society, not just those that are impacted by mental health issues or you know other other challenges, but everybody. Uh, why that's important. Uh, we need to advocate and as you said it Silas uh, collectively that's important you know we all are very good talking to one another about what's going on but really organizing that effort uh, regarding reimbursement rates and uh, you know we need to stop doing more with less and and fixed uh, funding budgets that we receive because we feel it's our responsibility to keep serving but in many ways, it is a disservice to those um, we we treat and and those that we um, care about in our society. If we're doing more with less, we're compromising and diluting uh, what what their needs are uh, and and the quality of uh, the workforce. Uh, so we we have to stop saying yes to everybody and uh, collectively work together to truly advocate on so many different levels uh, with a louder, more organized voice, essentially. Absolutely. And Olivia, um, you know, NASW New York State chapters, you know, really really been a big um, advocate of you know fixing this problem. So now that the research is out and it's hard poll data, you know, the numbers speak for themselves. You know, what um, do you, as a part of the NASW team, um, see as the next step forward to start really making some real traction? Because as we all know, as we sit here and talk, we all know this topic has been discussed over and over and over and over again for, for quite some time now. And some way, somehow, it seems to always, you know, you know, make the make the front lines and then it kind of slides to the back. So Olivia, what what what, what steps can we as a profession take, in your opinion, um, to see this um, journey to its fruition of making sure that people who do what we do get paid the way that we should get paid, whether they're male or female, it doesn't make a difference, in your yeah. opinion. Thank you. Well, I definitely want to echo what both Randy and Adrian said. Um, coming together collectively, I think social workers really need to um, stand on their voices and be confident in their lived experiences. I think that's the key with social workers because, you know, like we're saying, a lot of the main society doesn't truly understand what social workers do and the direct impact that social workers have on the broader community. So even, you know, sometimes even legislators don't know the impact social workers have so not only speaking to elected officials, but speaking your truth when you're in the meetings with them, you know, share your lived experiences, what you see in your everyday work. And, you know, I, I like to say the data is what kind of grabs the attention, but those lived experiences is how to get in the heart mm -hmm. of those who can really make those legislative changes. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely getting together, um, advocating for the greater society and, you know, using our platform to share the strengths of the profession as well. Uh, one of the other things that, you know, I've heard in, in a lot of different circles, um, and I've had, you know, social workers come to me and say, um, you know, what's the best way for all social workers um, all over the country to collectively come together and, uh, and and make our voices heard. Now, they, they, there's been some some people that wonder, and they've, they've they've asked me, you know, on certain occasions. Well, you know, how come social workers don't come together and form some type of union? Now, you know, I know that there is some some uh, those points are addressed to a certain degree in the code of ethics that you know didn't say that social workers couldn't. But it said that you know they needed to be more mindful of you know client issues. So we always keep the clients first. But the question was is always brought to me: How come we don't come together and and, and unionize? That's I've got I've been asked that question a million times. And you know whenever I've had discussions, it's like well because that's we don't do that because if you unionize and 
you're moving in one one voice, then that means if your if your demands aren't met, then you you look at next would be quote unquote what other unions do would be a work stoppage. But social workers, because we're so dedicated, then a lot of people say, well, yeah, we do need to be paid more, but uh, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. Does anybody have any thoughts on that? And again, uh, I'm, I'm throwing it out there because I, I, I get this, I get asked this all the time. Does, does, has anybody else been approached? And what's your thoughts on that? So um, I'll, I'll take um, you first, Olivia, and then we'll go to Adrian. Absolutely. Um, this has definitely been a question that I've heard. Um, and I don't have the most extensive knowledge on um, union, unionization of organizations, but from my understanding, it would be very difficult to unionize social work because of how vast the profession is. We're in all different areas. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like that would be the main challenge when it comes to unionizing social work as a profession. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts, Adrian? Quite honestly, my my thoughts right now are just thinking about so many of us in the field that are so inundated with uh, responding to what's right in front of us, which are those that are suffering and um, being conflicted about where we put our efforts. We we many of us don't have the bandwidth to, I think, address this properly. Uh, because we are dealing with crisis moment to moment, day in and day out. And while this is so important to us and we understand the implications, uh, it's it's really about bandwidth and resources and um, needing to uh, just keep forging ahead to um, resolve what seems most imminent in front of us. And it's hard to take um, something so so grand and, and large and complex and, and really know where to start sometimes, I think, on the front lines. Randy, your thoughts? So we're kind of in a different situation because our social workers in New York State government agencies are unionized. Mm -hmm. They are part of the Public Employees Federation. Um, and, you know, as a union activist for many, many years, it gives us the ability to speak out about things that many others don't get to and to do it safely because we have job protections. We are not allowed to strike as public employees. That is uh, part of the Taylor law, mm -hmm. which basically prohibits us from striking because we do provide critical services in exchange for making sure when our contract expires, we don't lose all the valuable benefits like healthcare and dental. But by and large, being part of a union and speaking truth to power in a collective way, I think helps all social workers, whether they're unionized or not, because we can lift the boat and bring everybody along with us. So there's a lot of uh, value in being a state employed social worker because you do have that union protection, uh, union voice, but I don't want those who are not in unions to believe that we're not fighting for the profession. We're fighting for all of us because we know if we get something, chances are it will ripple out to other domains and other sectors. And I do think, you know, there are many social workers that if if they're willing to take the debt, it's a, it's a long process and fight to create a union, a private sector union, which is what it would be. But it's certainly worth looking into. I think it's just very hard to do because we are so complex, uniquely credentialed. We do so many, we wear so many different hats that it might be difficult. But I will give hope to people that are potentially interested. PATH is a union that represents 3,000 titles. So if you want to get taught complex, that's as complex as you're going to get. So there, there is a way to do it. It just is a very long process. And there's also ways to advocate whether you're in a union or not. Um, now, one of, one of the things that, you know, I'd like all of you to address, you know, it's Social Work Month and, uh, and National Association of Social Workers, they, they did a survey about um, customer or client satisfaction. Um, and there were some very interesting um, favorable numbers. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but a, a lot of what they reported states that the general public who utilize our services, you know, had a very favorable view of us as a profession and um, the services that we provide. 
So we, we had just, you know, mentioned earlier about using lived experiences for the benefit of promoting ourselves, um, promoting our profession. But instead of us doing it, having those who we've served and who have benefited from our services, having them to do it. So um, just wondering if you've seen any of the research results and, um, and what your thoughts and, and how might we be able to build on that to, to use that as, as more fuel for, and, and motivation for advancing the cause of more equitable and higher salaries. So I'll, I'll start with you, Adrian. If you've seen the results, you know, share your thoughts and how can we possibly use that, getting people on the ground who've used our services to say, hey, these folks deserve payback. Your thoughts? Sure. You know, quite honestly, I hadn't seen the study, but my thoughts are that very often those that we serve are marginalized populations that do not have a voice. So whatever we can do to provide them a voice is important. But, um, you know, often those that we serve have um, you know, so much that they're carrying that to, you know, I, I just find that at times because we've wanted locally them to, uh, you know, th those uh, in our community to speak on our behalf, but we don't want to exploit that, you know, or, or, um, you know, it's, it, there's such privacy, uh, while we don't want to stigmatize, uh, that we sometimes don't ask others to speak up on our behalf. But I, I think because there's a stigma sometimes receiving services, there's less of an, uh, externalized, uh, appreciation or, uh, knowledge of how many have benefited from uh, services provided by a social worker. Olivia, did you uh, see happen to see the results? Um, I did, and I was uh, pleasantly surprised by I was as well. Yeah, um, it really you know made me realize that our clients value us, so it's it's time that the general public values social workers as well. Um, and to your point of, you know, having clients share positive experiences, um, of course, I think the more voices in this battle, the better. Um, of course, confidentiality, like that's a separate topic, but, you know, just advocating for the general profession, I think every voice matters, of course. So I would love to see that. <laughs> well, you know, and, and then on that point, you know, obviously, you know, with the, uh anything with social work and working with clients, you know, there's confidentiality and privacy, you know, first and foremost, you know, you know, starting with HIPAA and then all the other, um, you know, safeguards that are put in place to make sure that um, their, their confidentiality is protected. Um, but, you know, there, there's, there's been some, some talk about, you know, ways to do that where they re remain anonymous um, so as not to, you know, expose their, identity, but, you know, still, you know, have a voice of legitimacy. So, you know, there were some, you know, some, some thoughts that, you know, those that will, would be willing to, to come forth, you know, we don't know how many there are, but there are those that would be willing to come forth. Um, like I, I, I share my, my personal story all the time because I've been with the social work profession or social work professions been with me pretty much since, you know, since my, my infant years, you know, from three years old and up. So, you know, and I don't have a problem, you know, stating, you know, what I was, you know, exposed to and how social work benefited. Um, and, and that's a story that I know no matter how we get it out there, you know, we protect the confidentiality, you know, we make sure we respect people's privacy. But those are the stories that need to be also told to legislators, governing bodies and um, those that make the decisions of how much who who gets um, paid and so forth and so on. Um, your, your thoughts on that, Randy, as far as, you know, lived experiences and how we can use that to benefit all of our, our situations. I always think that uh, personal experiences, families who've benefited from social work interventions uh, really highlight the incredible need that we fulfill in our communities. You know, PATH uh, is part of, is, has started this Fund Our Future campaign, and it's about reinvestment in government in general. But when we talk about 
mental health, disabilities. What we find is that when we can tap into those who've received services, those stories resonate. They are profound, disturbing at times, but also uplifting. And, you know, we have 50,000 members. So, of course, within our membership, we have members who have loved ones who have mental health issues. We have loved ones who receive services, you know, family members of PEF members. And we've been able to capture video testimonials of several volunteers who were willing to talk about what they experienced when they tried to get services for their loved one, for their child who, you know, was duly diagnosed, needed inpatient care, there were no beds available. Having those parties talk about it, you know, ups the ante because you have real life situations where people are suffering. Mm -hmm. And that is the one of the most critical things we can do because it's really different when it's a professional saying, I want more money versus mm -hmm. someone saying, I need my child to have social workers available to them so that they don't hurt themselves so that they're not being bullied and don't know how to handle it. All of the things that we help families deal with. And I think it's, it's critically important. You know, there, there is a place in this fight for coalition building and there's many groups, uh, families, NAMI, you know, that we can tap into. And I think we should open, you know, uh, kind of go think outside the box on it. Because sometimes we, we do what is most familiar, most comfortable. And HIPAA does create some complications. But if we put out the call to action, we need your help so we can help you. I think we would find that there's many clients, patients, people we've served and worked with that would be more than happy to be part of our fight, but we have to ask and we have to be able to ask in a way that protects them if they don't want to be. And, and, and that leads me to, to the next point I'd like for you all to discuss is how we as a profession um, can use the media to, 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 to get that message out, to amplify that message. Um, now, you know, with the advent of social media, you know, that's, that's, that's opened up a whole new avenue um, for, people, individuals, organizations, communities to get messages out there where 25 years ago they wouldn't have been able to do that because they, they didn't have that option available to them. But now with, you know, with social media and, and again, you know, being a, a media, professional media trained, uh, trained professional media person, I understand that, you know, first and foremost, you know, just like, for instance, you know, uh, media consent forms, you know, giving consent you know, to, to, to share your story, consent to, to use your picture or not. Things of those two things of that sort of nature. But the, the whole concept of using the media and it's and it's been done very effectively. Um one of my um mentors, um some of you may be familiar with, um Dr. Catherine Brian Lawson, um talked about how, you know, years ago in the early days, um Media was a big part of the strategy on how we as a profession promoted who we are and what we do. So um, with, with the advent of social media, it's a lot easier to get the message out. But combining the two, I think, would be a powerful um, way to start getting messages out that come from those who use the service. You know, it's, like you said, um, man, it's one thing to say, hey. You know, we're social workers and we're great at what we do. But then to end that with um, just listen to what some of our clients have to say and, you know, and have a media campaign. Um, Mental Health Association of uh, Nassau County a couple of years ago um, did a big media push and they found that by using media, and this is traditional media, I'm referring to radio, TV, um, commercial spots, that it opened up a lot of other avenues and now not only were people uh promoting good that social workers did but they were also very happy because a lot of times people don't know all the services that we are connected to so you know every time i talk to people about social work they say oh you help people get snapped and food stamps or you take people's kids away when they're not being treated and i said well we, we do that but that's not all we do but nobody knows all the different areas that we work in. So, you know, ongoing campaign, someone once suggested, constantly educating the public, all the different arenas 
that social workers work in. You know, how do you think that would affect um, public perception and, you know, uh, funding entities and elected officials to just, you know, have a, a blitz, media blitz of all the different social work professions that all the different professions, rather, that you can work in as a social worker? Um, and I'll start with you, Olivia. I think that would be a great idea. You know, we as a chapter rely so heavily on our social media to spread our advocacy news and get those. That's how we um, disperse our salary questions for the survey. Um, so our social media presence has been really crucial to our advocacy work. Um, kind of combining the advocacy and social media aspect all in one, we have produced what we call our act nows. Um, so we'll send it out on social media and send it to our membership. And it's as simple as putting in your personal information. Um, the message will be whatever message or bill that we're advocating for. And then there is a box for that personal lived message um, for the advocate to add on to it and then a simple push of the button and it will send out to it can send out to the whole legislature um, chair members that I identify so we've really tuned into our social media presence to spread that word um, and you know like you were saying we've um, it's called this is social work our campaign mm -hmm. We did little clips. We interviewed social workers in all different areas of the field. And we, yeah, Silas, you were one of them. <laughs> and so that's, you know, that's how we began the social work presence on social media, because folks don't know exactly what area we're in and what we do. Um, so we really, we really appreciate social media and the expansion of how quick it is to advocate. Um, it's it's nice to have that tool at your fingertips. So um, I think we can continue sharing all those messages and putting together some campaigns. And uh, the more social media presence we have, the better, the better impact and visibility we'll have. Now, we're gathering all that information, Randy. Um, what do you believe, in your opinion, would be the best way to then, you know, take that easy access and then translate it and get it into uh, some of the news reports and on radio and TV, community radio and community television. Because I think that's a, a, a area that if we could tap into that combined with the social media and then, you know, start offering opportunities for, um, you know, knowledgeable individuals like yourselves, you know, to, 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 to appear um, on a radio um, show or newscast or uh, something to that effect. You know, how do you think um, we can go about putting putting together a strategy such as that to add to our effectiveness using social media, combining it with traditional media? I think we need to take a coordinated approach. So, you know, we can't play whack-a-mole with this. It really has to be a lot of different organizations rowing in the same direction. Um, a lot of times we, we sort of, take our own little corner of the world and we talk about what we know, but this is a broader issue around social work in general. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things PATH is doing with the social worker campaign is a campaign called Respect Us, Protect Us, and Pay Us. Mm -hmm. And it's a campaign that started with our parent union, SEIU, around low-wage workers. But we looked at that campaign as sort of a campaign that totally encompasses the areas we need to make sure social workers are treated fairly, safely, and are able to take care of those in need. And in doing that campaign and doing outreach to our members, we asked them to do a couple of things as far as creating videos that we could boost up on social media. We, we asked them, we sent out an email and said, use your cell phones. Use what's right in your hands. Make it convenient for people. Tell us what you love about being a social worker and what's really hard about being a social worker for New York State. And we just put out a video last Friday um, related to social work and what they do and why they do it and what's been hard about it. And what we did with that is we boosted that out on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, and we send it out to media outlets and we see what we get back. Mm. So we are constantly reaching out to different outlets. You never know what they're going to take interest in, That's but true. you're guaranteed nothing if you don't 
put it out there. So, you know, I always recommend if we have photos, letters, uh, campaign footage, where we have social workers telling their truths, we put that out there to the to the media outlets that are interested, whether it's, you know, the political, whether it's in New York City, The Guardian, there's all different publications that talk about services to people. And I think it's it behooves us to make that ask because they may say no five times, but the sixth time they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we want you on the show. Yeah. So we have to just be uh, persistent. Um, I do think that there is a lot of different interests here, you know, from the alcohol and substance abuse community to the community that serves people who were formerly incarcerated mm -hmm. to, you know, people who do healthcare, social work. So if we can find sort of a group of people that can speak to a lot of different areas, we may find that we get more interest. And I think we have to just put that fishing rod out there and see what we catch. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Adrian, I, I, I want to ask you, so what, in your opinion, do you think is the best way to make connections with traditional radio stations and, and, and TV stations? So in other words, have an ally, you know, one of the, one of the most effective ways I think is for us to constantly have to tell our story is to have an ally, somebody that, you know, we can call and say, Hey, listen, um, it's social work month and this is going on. Um, there's a campaign coming up um, in a couple of weeks and I'd like to come on and do a PSA. So in your opinion, you know, do you think there's enough of that going on as far as having all of us having connections somewhere in the traditional media? Because we, 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 we know that we have access to the social media. We can build groundswell of support. But then if we can get traditional media to say, hey, look, you know, that's a story. So. How do you think is, it, it, what would you think would be the best way to do that? To take that social media piece where anybody can really have an access, build something, connect with an ally, and, and every time you build something here, say, hey, I got something for you, in your opinion. Sure. Well, for one, I think, uh, you know, it is a matter of asking sometimes, you know, as Randy said, I, I, I found that recently as I've become a little bit more comfortable just putting it out there and, and feeling passionate about it that, gee, sometimes you just have to ask and, and be persistent and it happens and you know, not everyone uh, is so comfortable. It's, it's you know, could be intimidating to do that, but also just the collective effort. I mean, we are stronger in numbers, our voice is louder. Uh, so how we all do that together uh, will be more likely uh, result in 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 uh, maybe the media paying attention that okay this isn't just important to this one person or this one community but uh, this is a big issue so uh, really working together to to put out that collective message is very important and sharing the resources to do that mm -hmm. uh, and and knowing that those resources are important. Um, there's the uh, documentary uh, documentary Uncharitable that's um, coming out in uh, September that I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing because um, it, it really looks like it, it speaks to the fact that we we think that um, resources into direct services is is uh, you know there's this misperception that nonprofits and uh, charitable organizations should not um, use funds for indirect purposes, but realizing that in turn, if we can educate mainstream communities um, and, you know, the general public about our value, in turn, it strengthens our services and, and uh, helps those that we serve. So we, we can't be afraid to uh, to put, uh, whether it be, you know, financial resources, time resources to, to making those things happen. Um, and then one, one of the other things that, you know, has been shown to, you know, be popular and, and effective is, um, you know, you know, getting connected with, you know, university and campuses, most colleges and, and, and universities, you know, they have a radio station and, you know, that's a great form of publicity because most students, you know, you know, they would love to cover a story that's a, a hot button topic. Um, um, up, up in Albany, um, there was a professor, I don't know if she's still there. Her name was Catherine Zox, and she was 
teaching um, social workers how to use radio to to advocate for the services that we provide. Um, and as a matter of fact, her title was the social worker with the microphone. Um, you know, my um, my greatest wish is to see one day where there are social workers who specialize in media. Um, and uh, and I and I I've, I've worked with um, young people in various different community aspects um, and, and help them to get because the, well they actually young people at once they came to me and they say we got issues that we need to address that are affecting all young people and so the reason why they came to me was because they knew that you know I I was connected with media and so the effort that I put together was not so much to you know, to take over and, and to do the project, but was to teach them what to do and how to do it. And they did it, and they did it in a really fantastic way, and, and it worked really well. So I'd like to see one day that, you know, we as a profession, you know, have a, a, a section of social work that's dedicated to people who have an interest um, and start training and putting together our own media specialists so that they can go out, make the connections, and then connect with other organizations like Press Club of Long Island, Society of Professional Journalists. Um, whenever there's a story, you know, that has something to do with social work that I'm involved in, I'm a member of those organizations. I send them something out and say, hey, this is, this is a story I covered that has a social work um, lens to it. And then they take it and then they, they put it out on all of their media channels. Um, and radio is a great way to also get a message out, you know, as I said, that's where the, coming into having allies, you know, everybody, every social work organization, I think should have allies in the media that we can call. And once we get everybody rowing in the same way, in the same direction, um, Randy, as you said, you say, hey, look, we got all these folks. It's a, a groundswell movement. Uh, we like to come on the air and talk about it. And when it's something that's going to generate a lot of um, interest, they're more likely to say yes, but like you said, you got to keep asking. You got to ask when you're small, so they'll say yes when you grow tall. That's mm -hmm. You know, sometimes <laughs> you put out a press release and you see what you get, right? Yes. And if it's a slow news day, you get a couple of news media yes, showing absolutely. up. If absolutely. it's not a slow day, you know, you might not get as much interest. But I think a lot of times it's looking at what's in the news media mm -hmm. and capitalizing on stories that you're seeing that are tied to the problems we're yes. facing social workers. So, you know, there's a lot of activity right now on crime in the subways and they blame it on people and stigmatize people with mental illness. And may, maybe some of the folks that are committing those crimes have mental health issues. But I think we can pivot from that conversation into why are people living in the subways? Why are there, why is there an increase in people with mental health issues not getting the services and supports they need and tie it to the shortage in social work, uh, the social work profession? And as we lose people in these professions, we see an uptick in some of the societal ales that were you know are all over the front page and i think we have to connect the dots for people sometimes mm -hmm. and sometimes they don't tell the story in a way we want them to tell it mm -hmm. so we have to tell it yes and we, we have, have to, to tell change, them. Yes. we have to change the narrative yes we, have but to we also have you have to pay attention to what's out there yeah, and yeah, that, that's why i think it's really important for some of us to, to to really be focused you know specifically on the media, but who are social workers who have the experience? Because you know, one of the things that I that I talk about, you know, you know, and I you know speak at you know, universities and colleges, I talk about the fact that um, social workers and and social social workers and social work students um, would be the best resource for anybody that has a career in media. And the reason is because we have access. To any hot button topic you could think about, mm -hmm. a social worker will be one of the persons you can go to to get that information on it on any given day. And any sure. any uh, industry, any population, any any problem, any societal ill, there's a social worker that can speak succinctly to what that issue is and some of the ways that it, a solution can be found. And and that's one of the things that I think. Really, you know, universities and, and colleges, you know, maybe need to take a look at, like, how do we 
try to marry those two um, because social work and, and media, um, social workers you know, have information and insight on all the issues and, and they can learn from the media um, students and professionals on how to put that together and the media and students, um, media professionals and students know that anytime there's an issue that comes up, you know what, let me call NASW, let me call PEF, let me call the counseling center because those are the people who would have the best, the, the, the best insight into not only the issue or the problem, but more likely than not, the solution. So, so I'm, that's one thing I'm hoping that can happen more frequently as we go forward. So um, as we get ready to wrap up, um, I'm going to give each of you um, opportunity to share with our listeners a little bit about how to contact your organization and also a parting thought you'd like listeners and viewers um, to leave with as we wrap this up. And I'll start with you, Ray. Well, what I'd like to leave listeners with is that New York State Employed Social Workers provide services for the least among us. We need to recognize that we are chronically short-staffed at this point. We have over 200 vacancies for social workers in the Office of Mental Health right now. Uh, that is astounding because New York State used to be the employer of choice for social workers. 20 years ago when I started, our salaries were higher than the private sector. And that has sort of shifted dramatically over the years. What we want folks to know is you know, we need your support so that we can support you. And, you know, we're working right now with the agencies, with the commissioners of our agencies, with the Department of Civil Service to really examine this issue. But, you know, if this doesn't happen, if we can't make this happen, we are looking at a devastating impact on the social work profession in the state of New York and probably nationally. And we've seen it. We've we've seen it. We've heard it. Um, you know, we want to be partners with anybody who wants to partner with us. And so I put that out there to NASW, to the private sector providers. You know, we want to grow the profession. We want to improve what we can do for our communities. And PEF is here to work with, you know, anybody who's an ally or a stakeholder willing, willing to uplift social workers. And how can people get in touch with your organization to learn more? Sure. Sure. So the Public Employees Federation, obviously, we have many different social media sites, but they can reach out to uh, myself at rdantonio at pef.org. Um, and our main number is 1-800-342-4306. If you call our headquarters and have questions, they can get you to the right person. Okay. All right. Olivia? Thank you. Um, so I just want to leave with the note that, you know, there's a clear imbalance between social workers training, the expertise that goes into it, the work experience and our salaries. Um, you know, society can't expect social workers to continue providing mental health and crisis services, especially in this time post pandemic, these extraordinary times um, without having that that appreciation in those salaries. Um, so yeah, you can contact NASW New York State by going to our website, naswnys.org. Um, we are NASWNYS on all of our social media platforms. And you can email me specifically by typing in onox.naswnys at socialworkers.org. Adrian, get the last, the last word. Sure. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, what, what's resonated with me is that uh, we all in the field have a role in advocacy. I mean, we know that when it comes to those that we serve, but, um, you know, as Randy said, we're really at a very, uh, the impetus of something very, very uh, profound happening in a, in a very bad way for our profession and for those we serve. And we really must take action now. Uh, and that means everyone, not just those that, um, you know, tend to be in the forefront. It's for all of us to advocate. And there's so many ways to do that. 
Uh, and everybody needs to look for those opportunities. It doesn't have to be on a grand scale. It could just be when you're, you know, out talking to family or friends or business owners and to look for opportunities to let the general population uh, and voters know what's going on and how critical it is that our fields are supported and to educate, um, uh, you know, the, the uh, general public about who we are, what we do uh, is so very important. And, and um you know, we we social workers we we know how to make things happen. Uh, we just need to uh, be creative and and put a little bit more, I think, of our um, efforts into um, this purpose. Understanding that uh, it's not self serving. It's it's to preserve the foundation of uh, you know the the care that we know is important for uh, for for all the individuals we we help. And how can people get in touch with you? your organization for more information to volunteer or to support um, or to use services. Great, sure. So um, our email, uh, main email that I'm, I'm always on is info at yesccc.org. So info and uh, yes and three C's uh, is, is the uh, email account and www.yes ccc.org is our website, uh, also with our contact information and, and phone number. And, um, you know, there's, it's really about uh, those connections and, and looking how we could work together more. So, uh, you know, I'm happy to be here today with Olivia, Randy, and you, because now um, uh, that's an opportunity for, for, uh, for me to think about how, how I uh, utilize uh, other resources more as well. Well, thank you all so much for taking time out to um, to sit in on this very important discussion. Um, I applaud all of you for all the work that you're doing. Um, you know, Yes Counseling, um, obviously NASW, New York State Chapter, um, PEF. Um, so to all of you, I want to say con continued success. Thank you for all you do and um, look forward to staying in touch um, when other topics come up. Um, feel free to reach out to me, uh, to all my viewers and listeners. Uh, you've been listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. I'm Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate, host of the show. And we've been talking with uh, Miss Olivia Knox from NASW New York State Chapter, uh, Miss Adrienne Lopresti, uh, Executive Director of the Yes uh, Community Counseling Center, and Miss Randy D'Antonio um, from the uh, Public Employees Federation. And I want to say to all of you, it's been a great honor and a pleasure. And we thank you for coming on. And listeners, you got the contact information. These are great organizations. Reach out, support them, give them any support that you can, because they're certainly worth support. On that note, thank you. Everybody have a nice evening. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate and host of the show. You've been listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. This and all other programs are available on the Apple iTunes, Spotify, and Anchor podcast platforms. Go to any search engine and type in Kelson on the Air in the search window to hear this show in its entirety. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a Kelson Communications production.